0: Welcome back to the 4th Way Podcast. We are continuing today with our discussion on the incoherence of just war theory. And today we are going to talk about the tenant of re- uh, not reasonable success, that's what we just talked about. We are going to talk about the tenet of last resort. War must be a last resort. It has to be something that is sought absolutely last and all other avenues of opportunity pursued before we engage in warfare. Uh, once again, I'm going to remind you that the audio quality of this episode might be a little bit off. And if it is, please excuse it. And we hope to return to normalcy soon. This episode is going to be a bit shorter just because um, there isn't all that much that I've, I've thought about with Last Resort that uh, I'm... I'm going to have to say. So I really only have kind of two points to make here. And I'm sure as I think about it over the next uh, few years that I'll, I'll probably be able to add to this. But I think with all of the the other ones that are um, more more obvious and have a lot more points, I, th- I think I can deal with last resort having a little bit less for it. Uh, so the two things that I would say um, would be, first, it seems to me, that the idea of, of last resort uh, stifles creativity when violence is an option on the table because violence is much, much easier to employ than nonviolence. And so I'm going to argue that I don't think you've, maybe I shouldn't say ever, but I want to say almost never have we actually um, gotten to a case where violence in war was a true last resort Um, as long as violence is an option it's going to be easy for it to not be the last resort Um, so it's going to be uh, instead of me compromising i'm going to say i'm not going to compromise i'm willing to get to the level of violence because this is so important to me i'll kill them over it if if they're not going to move and it's it's easy to have that as a a resort, not a last resort. Uh, it it fails to force compromise and it fails to force working together. So long as it's on the table, if violence were off the table, then we would have we would be a lot more creative in our in our actions. And I think you can see this on a a small scale um, on the individuals who have been willing to enact. Nonviolence. There are two great books on this. uh, One by John Howard Yoder, which is uh, called "What Would You Do," and then another, which is a a book of a lot more stories called "Victories Without Violence." And in both of those books, they will talk about specific instances of people enacting nonviolence in violent, potentially violent, and violent situations. And after reading through it, there there are quite a number of. Connections that you can make, of, of patterns that you can find. But one of the ones that you see a lot is that when when somebody enacts something non-violently, you're like, "I would have never thought of that." Um, and it, it's funny because, you know, when I was when I was growing up, when I was a kid, I would love, like, I would be at, at my school, and I'm either, hopefully, I'm not telling you something that makes me super weird uh, or creepy, but. It might be. But I think this is probably something that has gone through a lot of boys' heads. But I would, while I was at school, I would, like, imagine a school shooter coming through. And I would imagine, like, being the brave person who somehow snuck behind them and grabbed their gun and took them out, right? Got them, got them all taken care of and saved everybody, saved the day. That was, that was what I imagined. And I would love to fantasize about... um Warfare and being a hero and, and um, just resolving things violently. But recently, after reading uh, these two books I mentioned, I've actually started, and, and this is probably weird for a 34-year-old. You can probably understand more from um, my middle school perspective, imagining shooting bad guys. But as a 34-year-old, I've started to think about, okay, what would I do if right now somebody came in with a knife? Or right now, this happened. How would I act nonviolently? And I've started to to play scenarios out in my head. You know, it's amazing when you steep yourself in the stories of nonviolence and when you think that violence is not an option, um, there are actually a lot of things that you can do to attempt to subvert violence. Now, of course, it won't always work, and it may not even work most of the time, but I guarantee you that... Uh, I, I'm not a big guy, so most of the time, my attempt at violence against an intruder is not going to work either. Um, but if violence is my option against an intruder, I've got maybe a few objects in the room at any, at any time that I'd be able to use against an intruder, um, if there's only one. And I'm probably not going to win that fight. But as far as nonviolence goes, there are many avenues that you can pursue in terms of conversation and observations and and other sorts of things. And that might sound crazy to you if you've never thought about nonviolent resistance. Uh, But if you take a look at those two books and read through them, you'll start to see what I mean about this idea of creativity. When violence is not an option, and when your, the preservation of your well-being is not your ultimate goal. When love is your ultimate goal and violence isn't an option, you get a whole lot more creative with the ways that you can attempt to handle things. It doesn't mean you'll always be successful at handling those situations. It doesn't mean you won't ever resort to violence in the heat of the moment. But your options are so much greater when violence is not an option. And I think that one of my main problems with this idea of last resort is that um, it never really is the last resort. It's the last resort amongst selfish people, selfish nations, selfish individuals who are unwilling to compromise. So that's, that's really what last resort means. It means the last resort amongst selfish people who are unwilling to compromise. It doesn't mean the last resort amongst rational people who get to a point where no further compromises can be made and they just have to go out and kill each other. That's what last resort should mean and does mean in people's heads, but that's not what it actually means in in the real world. And that's going to run into our second point. And the, the second point is, is really just kind of an extension of the first. And my main question is, why isn't Christ's example our last resort? Why don't we draw the line of what a last resort is at a different place? To kind of highlight that, I want to read an extended excerpt from uh, one of the stories in Yoder's um, What Would You Do book. And this is the one by Henry Hodgkin, entitled No Revolver as a Last Resort. So here's Hodgkin's uh, extended quotation. And... Be it noted, he not only defends the defenseless woman, but he avoids the danger of still further infuriating a drunken man and perhaps doing him serious harm. He also is the means of permanently solving the problem. His act creates a good husband out of the violent drunkard. How many of our so-called insoluble problems could be handled in a similar way? I have no means of knowing. But it is clear that given a real interest in the offender and a passionate desire to change his evil mind into a right one, there are many situations that can be dealt with quietly, which seem, on the face of it, to demand that we should call more vigorous methods. The fact is that the resort to force in most cases implies a disbelief in God and in man. It is a surrender of the higher method for a lower, easier, and, be it noted, a less ultimately effective way of meeting evil. I remember discussing a similar problem with a friend during the recent war, and he said to me, Yes, I should wish to use all the spiritual force which I could command, but I should like to have a revolver in my pocket to use if the worst came to worst. Now the view of the place of coercion that I am here maintaining is emphatically not that of my friend. It is not a case of turning to coercion as a last resort, but using it, if at all, as part of the method of love. The last resort in the mind of Jesus seems to have been the supreme appeal of forgiving love. If that failed, nothing else would succeed for the end he had in view. With the revolver in our pocket, so to speak, we missed the power to make the final appeal of goodwill. So, what was Hodgkin saying? He was saying that Jesus shows us what the last resort is, and the last resort is not violence. The last resort is being willing to lay down our lives for others in love. When we're willing to use violence, we fail to tap into the power of God. We fail to trust him with our lives. We fail to trust him with the heart of, our, uh, of the aggressor who is attacking us. We fail to trust that he can bring good out of evil. We just fail to trust him uh, through all of it and being willing to have the same last resort that he himself had and he himself had in Jesus Christ. And that's a problem for us Christians and that's a big problem for just war theory. So, that's all for now. Peace, and because I'm a pacifist when I say it, I mean it.